Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is the show where you can call in and talk about whatever you want to talk about, and I can help give you some insight along the way. My tagline has always been there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people with issues and people who are no longer with us. So as long as you're with us, you have issues. So do I. So does everyone. And this is a show where you can call in and get some insight around that. The number is 866-391-1020. Again, it's 866-391-1020. Or you can email me on the Dollar Bank Instant Access. Just go to kdkradio.com and send me an email. We've got email questions to get to uh, tonight. Uh, This is going to be a good show tonight. We're thinking about the, you have how many of you have children who are going back to school, or maybe you're a young person who's going back to school yourself, maybe to college or grad school. Um, and there's anxiety around that. Every, every year when you're coming back to school, there's a lot of anxiety and not just for the students, but for parents, for grandparents, for caretakers. So how do we deal with that? So maybe you have a young person who's headed off to school or just got to school and you're, wanting to make sure you guide uh, her or him in the best possible way. 866-391-1020 is the number. So I get to do some pretty cool things in my career. I get to do some fun things. This past week, I went from Washington, D.C. straight out to uh, Long Beach, California. I uh, was honored to be a keynote speaker for the California Police Police Officers Association, their annual meeting. And I got to meet some really incredible people out there. I I talked to some guys, some officers. I mean, these men and women are putting their lives on the line every single day uh, for people, for you, for me, to keep our society safe. They're doing such honorable work, and um, the job is stressful. It's extremely stressful. It's a position as an officer where you put your life on the line. You're, you're asked to make decisions in high-adrenaline situations, and you're asked to make those decisions and do it in the most in uh, you know calm rational possible way and then after those decisions are made in hindsight people in a totally different emotional state uh give feedback on how it could have gone differently so these guys these men and women they go through a lot but the uh, beautiful thing that i see so no matter where i go if i'm working with professional athletes if i'm working with officers in prisons if i'm working uh just wherever i am there's the the one commonality I see is people are people. We are all people. We have projections about people in specific groups. We have projections about people when we label them and put them in a box. But when we really take the time to get to know people, we see that people are people. From a distance, it's easy to judge. My goodness, it's easy to be angry. It's easy to lose control of our emotions, especially in a world where social media is so prevalent where we can hop on, be an anonymous account and just say whatever thing we want to say and then pretend as if we had nothing to do with it. 
Like, I can't believe you're getting so upset. I just said something awful to you. <laughs> it's interesting because we have a tendency to, to say that others impact us, but then when we impact others, we say, well, now nah, it wasn't that big of a deal. We downplay it. We minimize the pain we cause others, but we maximize the pain others cause us. So in this world, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. And that does not go unnoticed by our young people. And they're headed off to school. So now they're not only going off to school to learn, but they're going off to school to learn in a world where mass shootings are prevalent, uh, where school shootings are prevalent, and they're seeing this stuff and it's impacting them. So it's one thing to say as a parent, when we love our children so much, it's one thing to downplay their experience because we don't want them to be hurting. No, you're not, you're not scared. No, you're not worried about that. Saying things like that comes from a place of love because you don't want your child to be upset. But the reality is, if your children are afraid, they are afraid. I had an officer come up to me, a big tough guy, and he said, um, I'd definitely like some help, uh, some insight around my son. My son's young, and he uh, he saw some of the uh, mass shootings on television, and, and he had a difficult time distinguishing between saying it, calling it a movie and recognizing whether or not it was real, but he's afraid. He says, I'm afraid to go to school. And he said, you know, my first instinct was to tell him, no, you're not, you're not afraid, because I didn't want him to be afraid. But when I looked at him, I, I thought I could just feel, and he said, I'm not a, an emotions guy, I'm not a feelings guy. He said, but I could just tell it was wrong for me to want to come at him and say, you're not afraid, because I'm looking at my little boy. And he said, you know, you described your daughter in, the, in your talk, and he said, you obviously love your daughter that much. And he's like, that's how much I love my son. So when I saw his face in pain, and I saw him say he's afraid, I don't know what to say. I literally don't know what to say. Well, I think that's a very real conversation that we can have. And we'll talk about it tonight. Things that you can say to your children when it comes to uh, their fear around the, the threats that are real for them. So for me at 45 years old, it's not the same level of threats that when I went to school, we just did not have that same level of of threats that young people have today. We had our issues for sure, but they were different issues. And it's, and it's important for us not to, once we've gone through a situation, once you make it through a situation, you have a tendency to downplay anything that was negative because that negative part's gone. But when our young people are going into a difficult situation, instead of downplaying it, there's a more effective way to deal with it I'm going to share that with you tonight. That's what this show is all about. We're trying to give you hands-on tips and, and practical examples so that you can walk away from this show being able to find a more direct route to peace in your life and your family's lives um, and, and kind of be that beacon of light for others. If you like this show, you know, I'm so grateful for people tuning in each week. Um, I'm going to give a shout out. Um, to one of my mom's best friends, Donna, for pouring an extra uh, pot of coffee before this show comes on. I, I'm, I'm glad you poured it because we're gonna we're gonna have a good night. Um, but if you're one of these people who if you if you've listened to this show, I, I want to really express my gratitude. I'm grateful that you're out there listening, and I would love to hear from you. So the number is eight six six three nine one ten twenty. If there's anything I can help you with, please feel free to reach out eight six six three nine one ten twenty. 
If there's another way to get a hold of me or to see some of the work I'm doing, if you're a visual learner, I have a YouTube channel, and you just go to YouTube and you type in Dr. Christian Conti, that's C-O-N-T-E, and you can see a variety of videos that are really designed just to, it's a free resource to help people out with uh, mental health, because I believe that we just don't have enough mental health services, not just in our country, but in our world. I've been odd to hear from people all over the world about how this channel impacts them. So I thought I'd share that with you uh, tonight. But the number, if you want to give me a call, you want to talk, be on the show, 866-391-1020. And again, you can email on the Dollar Bank Instant Access at kdkaradio.com. We're going to talk about going back to school, the fears from your children's angle, from parents' angles, from grandparent grandparents' angles, whatever it is, give us a call. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. It's your weekly checkup from the neck up. The number is 866-391-1020, Dollar Bank Instant Access. If you want to email, just go to kdkradio.com and send us an email. So tonight we're going to talk about a variety of things, but one of the things to deal with when it comes to emotional management is dealing with the emotions our young people go through, our children go through as they're going back to school. And there are several aspects to this, but the one I want to bring up at first is what an officer uh, in California had reached out to talk to me about uh, last week when I was out there. And he said, what do I say to my nine-year-old who is afraid of school shootings? And this is, you know, I I told him, I said, look, as a big, tough man, we have a tendency not to talk about emotions as men. That's just not historically been what we we teach young uh, boys to talk about. We used to say, hey, suck it up. Uh, You know, that's not that's not bothering you. Be a man. Uh, But the reality is that the human brain is three pounds. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how much you can lift or how tough you are. The human brain is three pounds. And trauma impacts the brain in a way that I would call a psychological injury. So if you got a concussion, you would say, look, I just got a concussion. It's physical. I can, I know it. I know I have symptoms. This is real. And somehow a concussion is acceptable to talk about amongst men. But when we come, when it comes to trauma, when it comes to PTSD, when it comes to anxiety or depression, all of a sudden, it's like, well, not me. I'm, I'm too tough for this. But you still have a three-pound brain nonetheless. And the injury, and I put my air quotes, which on a radio show you can't see, but, but the injury is sometimes a deficiency in serotonin or some of the neurotransmitters that kind of pass along the messages. So our, our brains operate by passing along messages from one neuron to the next neuron. And sometimes those messages just kind of fall off course. And that is neurological. That's not wrong or bad. And it really is okay to just talk about that. I think so many men, because we we really bounce from one extreme to another, we have a, a feeling that if we, we're going to break down and talk about emotions, we're going to end up talking about every emotion we've ever had. And and so people are real reticent to go into that. But the truth is, it's really okay to teach uh, people, all people, men, women, young boys, girls, to just say, look, I'm hurting right now. What you said hurt me. What happened just there scared me. That's a very normal thing. I mean, imagine if your child tells you that they're, they're scared and they say, oh, I'm scared. And you say, no, you're not because you don't want them to be scared, but you've basically just taught them 
now not to associate the word scared with the feeling of fear that they're experiencing. And even though that was well in, uh, intentioned, good meaning, you know, well, well meaning to, I don't want him, I don't want this child to feel fear. So I'm going to say, no, there's no fear there, but the truth is it is there. So let's validate it. So here's my recipe. This is my inside tip for my listeners here on this show. My new book coming out in October, walking through anger. I'm super proud of it. I've broken things down. My it's it's about my yield theory, and it's about how to uh, connect with people, how to deal with your own anger, walk through anger. But I broke down really in essence what is it that I do with people, and this is what I believe. This is what I said to this officer. This is what I'm telling you all. If you have children who are afraid and they're worried about some of the school shootings and so worried about the fear that they're facing, instead of telling them how they feel, listen to them. Listen to them talk about it. Put yourself in their shoes. Try to see yourself through their eyes. Try to see what they're seeing. Feel what they're feeling. And then validate that. So you listen to them, you validate that. And validation isn't like a quick, oh, so that must be tough, and then move on. But like really sit with it. Sit with them and validate them. You know what? That would be really scary. Tell me what it is specifically you're afraid of. And then play that and then let them talk that out. And then you provide some options. So listen, validate, and give options. In other words, let's listen to that fear our children are saying. Let's validate it because it's real. It is a real fear. And then let's explore options. And some of those options might be talking about what the school has been doing for safety. Uh, The schools uh, are doing a wonderful job at working really hard to try to preempt this stuff and and be on top of it. There are certainly areas for improvement in every organization and every institution, every school. Um, That's life. There are always going to be areas for improvement. And Monday morning quarterbacking is so much easier than Sunday quarterbacking. But the truth is schools are doing things. They are being proactive about trying to uh, make their schools as safe as possible. And having a realistic conversation with your children about what it is that your school is doing can be extremely helpful. So for instance, uh, they lock the door, the doors lock automatically at uh, uh, my daughter's high school. So now we know that that's a great question. I'm glad to ask that question. I'm glad to know that that happens. Um, Know that there are cameras around that kind of stuff. So having those kind of conversations, not trying to downplay it so that it's not real, listen, validate, and help them come up with some options. And there are options. There are things to do um, to be again, proactive. So when I say about being proactive and we're talking about emotional management, it's really a key I have for you, for helping your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, uh, the people that you're guiding, uh, to help them get through some of these situations. Like this shows emotional management. So let's manage these emotions. Let's say someone is experiencing, um, anxiety about an upcoming situation. Well, as uh, my dad always says, this is not your practice life. And he has a great blog, by the way, under that website title called thisisnotyourpracticelife.com. And he's right. It's not your practice life. But one of the great things that you can do is practice situations ahead of time. In other words, we can brainstorm what might come up this week that could really get to you. What could get, well, maybe it's the teacher yells at me, maybe this. Okay, let's play that out. Let's talk about that. See, the goal of education is to teach. That is our goal is to teach. And sometimes we forget that, that education doesn't just start in school. It starts at home. 
It starts with us being taking full responsibility for our children's education, meaning having a conversation with your children about how they learn. Hey, how do you best, like what, what resonates best with you when teachers are showing stuff, when they're, when they're talking, when they're drawing stuff, like what is it, what resonates best with you and try to find your child's learning style because that's really helpful to know. See, I think we have this uh, misconception that everyone learns the way we do, but that's not reality. The reality is there are different learning styles that resonate and getting your children to be able to, um, to know what their learning style is, what they need and then how to be proactive in getting that. All of that, we prepare, we prepare. If you were gonna be asked to give a speech to 10,000 people, the odds are you'd prepare. If you had a big ordeal that you were gonna get ready for, that you had to, you know, something that was really meaningful to you, the odds are you'd prepare. And this is true with life. Like we want to prepare our children in the best possible way. And preparing them isn't assuming that they should know what we know. Instead, it's meeting them where they are, trying to see the world from their perspective, listening to them, validating them, and then helping them come up with some options on what they can do that's realistic. We got some questions on email coming up um, that we're, we're gonna dive into this stuff, but the number's 866-391-1020. If you have any children who are going off to school and you have questions, how do we handle this situation, that situation? It could be anything um, uh, from bullying to test anxiety to sports. Whatever your questions are, give me a call, 866-391-1020. We're going to get to all of that kind of stuff tonight. Love doing the show because we all have emotions. They come up, they impact us, they drive us, they drive our decision making. But how often do we stop? reflect and talk about these emotions well we do it here every monday night on kdk on kdka uh, i'm dr christian conti this is emotional management on kdka radio this is emotional management it's your weekly checkup from the neck up i'm dr christian conti talking about young people going back to school. Now, remember, if you want to call in about something different, please feel free to call in about something different. But we're going to get to some emails because here's a great one from Sarah. She says, how do I help my child actually do homework and not make it a fight every night? That's a great question. That is a common question um, because there are so many arguments around homework. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. So I came up with years ago um, an essential time management chart. And this is life-changing, so you're going to want to hear this. So here, here's how, here's how it, the evolution of it. I was doing in-home therapy, and so I would go into young people's homes, and I would uh, kind of mentor them and, and, and try to help guide them according to a treatment plan. And there was a young man who's, uh, who's we, we, he wanted to go outside and throw football, and his dad needed him to do his homework. So I said, all right, we got to do, let's do your, well, oh, no, I'm so sorry, he had to do his chores. He said, after he does his chores, then he can go do whatever. So I said, all right we'll do this. You go do the dishes and then we'll go outside. Well, he did not want to do the dishes and he threw tantrums. He was upset and he just refused to do the dishes. So we sat there and we sat there and we sat there. I'm telling you like three hours went by. Finally, I said to him, cause I had, was going to be there for four total hours. So finally I said to him, all right, I'll tell you what, how about I just time you for these dishes? Let's just see how long this is actually going to take. 
So we go in the kitchen. I take out the stopwatch. I said, all right, let's just, let me, ready, go. And so then he starts doing the dishes. I can't make this up. It took him under two minutes to get the dishes done. We sat there for three hours, and it took him under two minutes to get it done. So when I left there that night, I thought, man, I wasn't very effective. <laughs> like, it took me all that time to come up with a lesson. But you have to remember, this was more than 20 years ago. Uh, so anyway, I went home, and I came up with what I call my essential time management chart. And when I went back to his house the next time, I was really excited, and I had a new chart for him. So I said, look, if... Uh, Let's say, let's say homework is going to take you 30 minutes to do. So imagine homework's going to take 30 minutes to do. Now, if you uh, just do your, so let's say you come home from school, you have 30 minutes worth of homework. Now, the first thing you do is complain about it. And you complain for a while. And after you complain for a long enough period of time, maybe you have parents start to yell and they get upset and now there's bad feelings. And then maybe that escalates and... Next thing you know, it's the end of the night. There's a lot of bad feelings. Maybe you even get grounded. Now you're basically grounded for two days and you still didn't get your homework done. Or, and I would draw a line in the paper, in the middle of the paper. So I would put all that on one side. And then the other side, I would say, what's the Nike slogan? Just do it. So then we put the homework, 30 minutes. So I draw a little box, 30 minutes. And I'd say, just do it on top of it. Now there's all this uh, open space above that box. So I'd say, all right, now look, if you have a choice between coming home, you have 30 minutes of homework, so there's a piece of paper, two different sides you're looking at. One side is you're going to complain, there's going to be a anger, bad feelings, you're going to get in trouble. The other side is you're going to come home, just do it, and then have a bunch of free time to do whatever you want, good feelings. Which one are you choosing? And time and again, for the entire time I've done therapy, young people see this and go, well, obviously I'm doing the one on the right. Like, I just want to do it and get it done with. So instead of it being, and I've used this with um, um, our daughter as well. Like when my daughter was young, um, one time, she's so bright. One time she came up to me and said, Daddy, will you do that time management chart with me again? <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> I want to see it. So I, I showed it to her and she said, okay, that's right. It's not a good idea to complain right now. <laughs> and she must have been in like second grade. It was hilarious. Um, but I think when you show children why it is they're doing what they're doing. See, I tell children all the time, question everything. Question me, question everything. But follow through with trying to find an answer. It's easy to say, why do we have to do this? But then really try to figure out why do I have to do this? I remember my dad telling me when I took geometry when I was young and I didn't see the practical application. He said, this helps you with problem solving. So learning that kind of helped me have a different perspective on it because now I'm going to know, I'm going to learn how to solve problems. This is once we link knowledge to something that's relevant and really, it's a matter of creativity on the part of the teacher or the parent to find the relevance and help young people understand the relevance. Now, I was blessed to teach. I was a tenured professor at University of Nevada, and I was blessed to teach a subject that my students were interested in because it was all about them. It was a subject on, you know, when you're learning about yourself and you're learning about your family and why you do the things you do. Uh, that tends to interest people. But I would constantly link, here's why we're learning this. It's not just haphazard. There's a reason why we're learning it. So the more you can make information meaningful, the more motivated your children are to engage in homework. 
And the more motivated they are to engage in homework, obviously the less arguments and tension it's going to be. So sometimes I would just play it out. I would play out the options. So let's say a young person came to me. I was a school counselor for years. So someone might say, okay, well, uh, I don't want to do my homework. So instead of fighting against them, I did my yield there. I'd listen, I'd validate, explore options. I'd say, okay, I I can't imagine anybody who would want to do homework on a beautiful, nice day like this. I understand you want to go outside. Um, And when I was a school counselor, kids were still going outside. Um, (laughs) But I understand it's a beautiful day. Get out there. Um, But now let me ask you this. If you choose not to do the homework, what's going to happen? Well, then I'm going to get more homework and I'm going to get, you know, it goes on and I'm going to get in trouble. Okay, so essentially you're just choosing whichever one you want to choose. And one of the reasons why I was able to um, help kids figure out what they wanted to choose was I did it without judgment, without telling them they were wrong or bad or telling them they will do this. And I remember having a conversation in a counseling class um, before my wife and I had our daughter and someone said to me, well, it's easy for you to do that because you don't have children you're not, that's not actually relevant to you. You don't have children. When you have children, you're emotionally tied in and you're not able to separate yourself from that. Well, now that, um, our daughter is uh, a freshman in high school, I've been a parent long enough to say, yes, it absolutely does work with your children because you're stepping, stepping back in a calm way and saying, look, I don't need to be angry with you. I just need to show you clearly that every action has a consequence. That's a very freeing thing for young people to learn. See, children with no rules and no consequences actually have the lowest self-esteem because they don't really know their world. Children who have rules and consequences have higher self-esteem. But the children with the highest self-esteem have rules, consequences, and explanations. In other words, they know why they're doing what they're doing, why they're choosing what they're choosing. Now imagine a young person who's never really been given a lot of explanations for things, just told what to do, told what to do. Do this because I said so, because I said so, because I said so. And then they get around people who say, here, try this. Um, Okay, why not? I guess because you said so, so I'll do it. But if you explain to them why they're doing what they're doing, and they can increase their self-efficacy, how they feel about how they perform, Now they have more reason to be driven to understand that every choice has a consequence. So I used this example last week and talked about on a previous show about what you put in your bucket will be in your bucket. In other words, if I give you a bucket, whatever you put in it, well, that's going to be in your bucket. And that sounds pretty self-evident. But the same is true with your mind. If you put violent things in your mind, that's what will be in your mind. If you put peaceful things in your mind, that's what will be in your mind. If you teach this lesson to your children, and I say this because my daughter recently told me this was one of the, her favorite lessons I've given her, which was, and I do believe I made up my best lessons for her, but she said, I like it because then if I see a commercial for a movie that I don't want, I don't want that stuff in my psyche. I don't want that in my mind. I just turn my head. I'm not going to watch it. And it's not because I'm standing over her saying, don't look. It's because she understands that choices have consequences and her choice of watching something that she doesn't want in her mind gives her the consequence of having it in her mind and her choice of not watching it keeps her free from that. The more we teach our children the more likely they are to learn. Maybe there are things you want to teach your children and it's just not working and you'd love some insight around it. I'm here for you. The number is 866-391-1111. 
1020. I'd love to hear from you and we can talk about your specific situation. We can get to all of it. It's a joy to do emotional management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. Happy Monday evening. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. I, uh, so I went to, I uh, was in Long Beach, California uh, last week. And I had a chance to visit the uh, tour, the Queen Mary, this Queen Mary, this ship. My goodness, was it impressive. This is something that they made in the 1930s. This is a ship. I don't want to get it wrong. Bigger than the Titanic. I'm pretty sure it's bigger than the Titanic. Um, But it was amazing to be on. So what a great experience. You're walking back in time. So this was a ship that was a, like, a, like a cruise ship that, that turned into a, a warship during the war and then kind of converted back to uh, a cruise ship and then finally uh, parked in the 60s in, um, yeah, it's finally decked in 1967 in the city of Long Beach. But I'm telling you, it was amazing to go on. But here's the reason why I'm telling you about this. We're talking about emotional management. And... When I got on the ship, um, my wife and daughter weren't with me, so I FaceTimed them. So I, I'm FaceTiming them, and I'm, I'm walking through um, I'm walking through the ship, and I'm trying to show them whatever details I can show them. And I'm thinking, like, I would really love to hand this experience to them. And at one, <laughs> at one point, my wife was laughing, and she said, uh, you know, I'm taking through the video. And of course, all they sing is a tiny little screen on the phone. So they're not seeing it in the grandeur I'm seeing it. Like I kind of showed them over the side how far it was to the water. And uh, she's like, it doesn't look far at all. And I was laughing and I was like, I guess it doesn't on the phone. But the reason why I'm telling you this is we often want to hand experiences to our children. We want to get, I wanted my daughter to have that experience so badly. I wanted her to be there with me. So I said, uh, I'm going to have you watch all this stuff, but I realized it's not the same when you're looking at it on the phone as when you're doing it in person. But this is kind of a microcosm of how we handle our children going to school. We want so badly for them to have the experiences that we want them to have. We want them to have learned from our mistakes so that they don't suffer, so they don't have to go through what we went through. Um, we want to spare them that pain, and that's honorable. That is, I think, the right thing for us to want as parents. But I think there's another side that it's wise to be mindful about, and that is that we cannot give our children experiences. We can set them up for success, but ultimately they have to have their own experiences. Now, we can, we can have our own sense of what other people's experiences are, so uh, my uh, grandma, who, who had uh, passed away back in 1995, she was born in 1911. She went to New York when she was a teenager. So in the Roaring Twenties, she was in New York. And actually, last time I was in New York, I was thinking about her walking on the streets and how much different it was. It was a lot, I'm guessing, a lot safer, obviously fewer people back then. And I thought about what was her experience like. Now, she told me about the experience, but she couldn't have handed it to me. That's it's it's a fascinating concept to really wrap our minds around because when our children are struggling and we want to just take away that pain, take away that emotional struggle, my thoughts, my experiences have taught me to say, instead of taking away that experience from them, 
empower them to see that they will make it through that experience. In other words, there will be a beginning, middle, and end to any part of any emotional experience they ever have. I was talking with uh, Marty Griffin and Wendy Bell earlier today. We were talking about uh, suicide and how much that, it, like, it's just, it's gripping, it's scary, it's, it's my goodness, it, it just, it freezes people to even talk about. And death is scary, it's scary to talk about. But anytime that we're ignoring subjects, it doesn't mean that they're going away. They're still there. The question is, are we going to actually talk about it? Are we going to shine light on it? So when we're talking about these experiences and when your children bring up, hey, I was afraid at school today. No, you weren't. No, no. Yes. Tell me about it. What was that like? That had to suck. Um, And then the more we validate them, the safer they feel so that we don't hurry up. So many parents will rush to have their children finish saying what they're saying so they can jump in and give them advice. And whereas that's noble, that's more about the parent giving advice than it is about actually helping your child get through that moment. Your children are strong. They're resilient. They're able to bounce back. They're able to get through situations. And the more they see that it's them getting through the situation, not you getting them through the situation, the more empowered they are to move forward in a stronger way. We can't hand our experiences to our children. We can certainly share with them what we'd like to, you know, I I say to my daughter all the time, I wish I could, I wish I could give you what I experienced so that you could walk into this knowing that I can tell you about it, but ultimately you have to have your own experience of this. And so this is a really important thing to remember when we're talking about managing emotions. Another thing to around school is to consistently practice what they might encounter. And here's how simple this can be. Let's play it out. And you can do this for fun. I'm telling you, this is a game changer right here on emotional management on KDK radio. This is a game changer. Next time your children are apprehensive about anything that they might encounter in school, do a fun exercise where you play out different options and make the first couple options absolutely ridiculous. For instance, um, I have to talk to my teacher about I need some help and I don't know what to say and I'm afraid to talk to him. Okay, so how about you walk into class, um, you jump up on your desk, and you start doing a one-leg hop and start doing a crazy uh, rhyming song that you make up on the spot. How about that for an option? Because that humor lightens the the moment. And then, okay, all right, that is an option. You might not want to do that option. So how about, you know, you walk into class and just give jazz hands and then spin around four times and then sit down. That's an option. All right, no, that's funny. But now we start letting, those are options. It doesn't mean you have to do them. But there are a myriad of options. Now, let's say you, let's practice a couple different ways you could say it to your teacher. Give me the information now. Or, hey, I have some questions I would love to ask you. Is now a good time or should I ask you later? And by role-playing those situations, by taking a few minutes to do that, you set your children up for success. Remember, we master what we practice. And if we practice handling situations poorly, we get really good at that. But if we can practice handling situations effectively, we can get really good at that too. Whatever you're doing, you're practicing. And whatever you practice, eventually you master. Even if what you're mastering is complaining, not doing it, or not pursuing what you want to pursue. We master what we practice, so be mindful what you're practicing 
because you're mastering it. Hey, if you have specific questions you want to talk about, we have more emails we're definitely going to get to coming up. But I'd love to hear from you and have a dialogue as well. 866-391-1020 is the number. You can always call in, make up a name, be anonymous. Um, I know a lot of times people say, well, I want to call in, but I was afraid no one's going to know who you are. Would love to hear from you. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. So we are giving you a weekly checkup from the neck up, and it's not just uh, locally. It's all over the world. Peter from the Czech Republic writes, Dear Dr. Conti, I would like to thank you. I've recently been diagnosed with bipolar, with borderline personality disorder. Uh, the diagnosis has been communicated to me uh, just a couple months ago after about nine years of therapy. What I did was immediately started to search for content regarding anger and how to overcome it. And your work helped me a lot, realizing the patterns I use. And I work really hard in order to make many things in my life better, not for me, but also for my girlfriend. I'm currently 37. I still, I hope I still have enough time to live a better life. These are all the reasons why I truly appreciate your work for people. It speeds things up. Thank you, your friend from the Czech Republic. Uh, listen, Peter, that's amazing. That's awesome. Super touched that you uh, are finding help in those uh, in my work, in the videos, and different things. Um, I want to help explain a little bit about borderline personality disorder as a diagnosis, uh, what it is, what that means. There are people who... Um, when you when you are first diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, it can be a relief. It can also be scary. Um, so let me kind of help put it in the most basic terms. Here, here's what it is. It sounds, you know, sometimes names can be uh, misleading uh, or they can be complex or unnecessarily complex. So what I'm going to talk about is what's classified as borderline personality disorder, but I'm not going to use the, that term. I'm said I'm just going to say this. There are people whose brains are kind of hardwired to feel like they're in a crisis. Now, one of the things that if you listen to this show frequently enough, you know I teach fairly often, is that your mind always wants to match your body. So if you and I down three energy drinks really quickly. Our hearts would start to race. Our, our, our hands would probably shake. And our bodies would mimic physiological anxiety. Now, if your body is already amped up and feeling physiologically anxious, guess what? Your mind is going to want to match that. So your mind's going to race to make up a story. Oh, no, I forgot to do this. I forgot to call so-and-so. I forgot to go to such-and-such. And then as that story um, exacerbates that feeling, now there's more of a feeling of that anxiety. Oh, no. Oh, really? And then it gets worse and worse, and it builds up quickly. So here's what happens. For a normal functioning brain, so a brain that hasn't experienced um, trauma or is genetically predisposed to being crisis prone in, a, in, a, in what we would call a normal functioning brain, let's say on a scale of one to 10, one is completely calm. I mean, you're Zen, you're in a place of peace. 10 is like a high crisis, like a fire breaks out in a room. And your brain might go up to an eight or a nine if you're in a ton of danger. It might even be up to a 10 
But let's say you get out of that room safely and you get out of the building and now you're completely safe. Now your brain will come back down to that one. So yes, it might peak up, but it's going to come back down to the baseline functioning. But for some people, their brain vibes at a four or a five. In other words, they feel like they're in crisis. And when you feel physiologically like you're in crisis, then it makes a lot of sense why you might start to create crises around you to make sense of why you're feeling. I can't just be feeling like this for no reason. I've got to be feeling it because you did this to me wrong. You did me wrong. You did this. Someone else did this. It's everybody else. This always happens to me. Why does this always happen? These, when we create unnecessary crises, then it might be that our body is physiologically off. So one of the byproducts of people who struggle with kind of this crisis prone mentality is anger. And it's anger because it's largely driven by anxiety. And I was talking about this, um, recently, but this, this concept is pretty powerful to understand. We really don't want to feel shame. We don't want to feel anxiety. We don't want to feel depression. And when we lash out in anger, we actually feel better momentarily than dwelling in shame, depression, or anxiety. So it makes really perfect sense why if you've got a lot of anxiety, you start to get angry because, hey, when I'm lashing out, I've got endorphins flowing, that feel-good hormones kicking through me versus having cortisol flood through me, which feels awful. So if you're not aware that you might be creating crises, then you're likely to keep creating them. But if you are aware that this is what's happening and you and this lesson resonates with you and it fits with you, then one of the most basic things you can do is start to almost become an observer for yourself, step outside yourself, kind of look at what you're going through objectively, and then kind of come back in your body and say, okay, this person's experiencing some discomfort, some, 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 some cortisol, feeling your stomach's kind of feeling sick right now, but I don't have to create a story. And when you can stop yourself from creating that story, I promise you, it will radically shift the way you interact with others. Because instead of saying, you did this to me, you go, you know what? I'm just really agitated right now. I feel really irritable right now. Think of this. And here's how all of this relates. Because at the end of the day, remember I told you there are two kinds of people in the world. We all have issues. We all have issues. As long as we're alive, we have issues. So any of this stuff in psychology, in emotional management, it all happens on a continuum. It's not either or one side or the other. It's, it's a continuum. So you're in different places on the continuum. So maybe you're not struggling uh, with uh, something as intense as can be diagnosed as borderline personality disorder, but you know the feeling of getting in unnecessary arguments because one or you or your loved one are hungry. How many times have you been hungry and lashed out, gotten in an argument? When the truth is you were just really agitated because you were super hungry. And how different would your interaction have been if you stepped back and said, you know what, I'm really hungry right now and I can feel myself being agitated and I want to talk to you and I will talk to you about this, but I, can I please eat something first? 
and what happens when you do that? You acknowledge the reality of how you're feeling, which is real, but you also give a good game plan on what you can do with it. Look, neurologically, Peter, for you and for others who are struggling with that kind of crisis-prone idea, your body is physiologically creating a crisis. And the truth is, this is not your fault. This is stuff that is brought on either genetically or a combination of genetically and experiencing trauma as a young person. So the brain is kind of jolted in that way. And again, I, I referenced this in, in the first hour, but just as much as you'd acknowledge that a concussion is physiological, well, the same is true with the chemicals that are going on in your neurology. So no matter what it is, whether it's psychological or physiologically, physiological, ultimately, it's all physiological. In other words, it's all a, a something that can be seen as happening. So be mindful not to create unnecessary stories. In fact, coming back, uh, when we come uh, come back, I'm going to tell you a story about how to go ahead and fight, but how to do it in, in maybe in a really an effective way. Hey, this is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. The number is 866-391-1020. If you want to be a part of the show, this is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Lead-in music. I'm telling you, I love lead-in music. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. 866-391-1020 is the number. Let's go to the phone lines. Carmen uh, from Greensburg, you're on emotional management. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, I, I'm i quite an, an emotional person, and I uh, had fallen a couple of weeks ago, and I broke my nose. Oh, man. And... Uh, I fell flat on my face. Do you ever have a, a, a cement block hit you in the face? Well, that's basically what happened. Oh, my god! I broke my nose. And I was in the emergency room for about four hours at Westmoreland. And I, I seemed to have uh, become more distrust. I'm afraid to go under the operation. They want me to have it fixed. It's broken. And that's pretty close to the brain. I'm 78 years old, and uh, uh, I'm between the rock and the hard place. It sounds like it. I mean, I mean, it is scary to go in and think about surgery um, and the options around surgery. So, what are they saying? What kind of um, what kind of procedure can they do? Well, they want to go in there and, and fix it. It's broken. Uh, I've led for several hours uh, till they got it stopped and of course and I went to the surgeon uh, the next week which was uh, it'll be two weeks this Friday and she just barely touched it and then I could feel it coming on again I'm afraid anybody to touch it and Monday was back in the emergency room again I couldn't get it stopped from bleeding and uh, now I'm afraid to have anybody touch it Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. listen. That's like if I if you know somebody's gonna listen. I was at a dentist recently, and they were tapping on my teeth, and I said it hurts when you tap on my teeth, and I said even on the teeth that it's not supposed to hurt on. Like I can see this hurts, <laughs> so I, I right. kind of feel you. Like sometimes if it hurts, it hurts. Um, so the the challenge though is if it's going to continue to hurt, and the doctors are recommending surgery, saying that will um, alleviate that pain, 
Is that what they're telling you, that, that that pain will go away if they're able to do that surgery? Well, they don't know if it'll ever go away. I'm sore all around the nose. It's above the bridge, and the bleeding's coming from above there when it does bleed. Uh, my eye, what do you call it, where your eyes fit in, they're still sore, and that's almost a month now. Mm. And it's still sore because I hit face flat. Oh my goodness. I had two black, black and blue hands to break the fall. And, uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, I'm super sorry to hear that you're going through that because that's that is it is scary. If you were to, to have you communicated that you were afraid for them to touch it to them? Yes. And what do they say? Nothing. <laughs> no, so not not a real bedside manner. Uh, no, and in fact, my friends and relations and the neighbors around told me to go to a trauma unit like Forbes or a place like that because Westmoreland and Latrobe and Frick have no trauma unit. So is it? does it sit with you, does it fit with you to go to get a different opinion or go to a different doctor that you feel like might uh, understand the emotional aspect that this is scary? Right. That's what I, you know, I have, I keep having these deep anxiety sighs, you know, <sighs> You know, like too many deep breaths, and yeah. I don't know if that's a good sign. Well, so I think so. It's it sounds like I'm I'm going to take a stab in the dark, and I'm wondering if when you have those, you start to wonder, am I with the wrong people? Am I in the yes. wrong place? Right. Yeah. Right. So so and that and again, that could be a part of anxiety and creating a story, or that could be a part of your uh, intuition saying you know what, I'm going to check with someone else. Maybe it's a different spot. So how likely would you be to follow through to go to another place just to get a second opinion? I'm up for it. <laughs> you know what, even your voice just went up with more p positive power energy when you said that. So that kind of tells me that's the right decision for you to at least at a minimum get a second that opinion. That's my first thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's. I think you kind of gave yourself an answer right there. I would definitely at least at a minimum, get that second opinion. And, you know, look, I get that, um, you know, doctors are busy and they, they're they working on their stuff all day long, but it's okay to just take a moment to validate and be like, my goodness, this is scary, but here's what I'm going to do for you. I remember my wife had to get her appendix out uh, years ago and I was pretty scared and I talked to the doctor and I said, listen, I'm, I, I was like, I'm, I said, I'm, I'm shaking. And the guy looked at me and he held out his hand and he said, do you see how steady this hand is? And I said, yes. And he said, I got her. And I said, my goodness, like that, that, that was very empowering to hear. And sometimes you need to hear that from the person who's, who's going to be doing the procedure. So I would definitely encourage you to go get that second opinion. I hear you. <laughs> I just, in that quandary, you know, when you get my age and you're by yourself, my wife's no longer living mm. and, uh, I have three daughters and, uh, they're, One's in Seattle, one's down the street, and, you know, you just, uh, the one down the street's one took me to the uh, emergency room, you know. I live a block and a half, half in the hospital. All right, and, and I want uh, you to know this, too. You're going to, uh, so one thing to remember is you're going to be asleep during your procedure, you know, and you're not going to feel it because they're going to put you out. Right. So that's another aspect. Like, that's, that's you're going to be out and not asleep. What would stop you from getting that second opinion? Hammer, hammers and chisels. Hammers and chisels. <laughs> That's what they're going to have to use to get up in there and. Well, but you, but again, but you, you're thinking of the parts that you won't be awake for. 
Well, I don't think they knock you out the whole way because uh, years ago when I had 20-some, 25 uh, years ago, I had that deviated septum fix because uh, they couldn't do the anesthesia on me uh, for normal stuff. Okay. And, so. and uh, this Dr. Klingensmith, they, they suggested before I went to have this sleep test done. And I waken up 11 times per hour. Oh, my. So you're not yeah. even sleeping. And that's got to add to the emotional aspect of it, too. Right. So if I wake up during whatever they're doing, and I did waken up during the surgery when they did that. And I says, what? I heard metal. Did you drop something on the floor? You know, I mean, I'm, yeah. well, I was supposed to be out, and I guess they didn't knock me the whole way out. And... uh that's on my mind, too, you know. Yeah, and it's normal to have all this kind of stuff on your mind. It is normal to have it on. But it sounds like that's all the more reason why it's going to be mo- most effective for you to get yourself to someone who's going to thoroughly explain what the physical procedure will be, how they're going to do it, because it sounds like you're not 100% sure they're not going to knock, have you be knocked out for this. So if you're not 100% sure, you need to get to somebody who can tell you this kind of stuff. So my hope is that you say, I'm going to take this step. I'm going to go get, I'm going to talk to somebody who's really going to lay it out there for me because it is scary, but you know, cause you've done this for 78 years, you know, there's a beginning, middle and end to every situation and the same will happen with this. There'll be a beginning to the surgery, a middle and then an end and you will get through it. So get yourself to either a second person to make yourself feel comfortable. Cause like I said, your voice sounded good with that. Or make sure you stop and say to these doctors, please teach me, tell me, what are you going to do? It's normal for you to have anxiety, and I want you to embrace that. Exactly. I appreciate you calling in here. Okay, I appreciate your talk. And I'm in trust with you (laughs) of your opinion. You know, it's always to have a stranger talk to than is your own family, because your own family doesn't want you... Agree. Hanging around being a burden to them. No, but listen, I'm up against a break, but I really appreciate your call. I wish you beyond the best of luck, and, and I'm sending you good energy. Thank okay. you. This is Emotional Management on KDK Radio. This is Emotional Management. I really have no musical talent. I hear the music. I want to kick in with something that would be melodious <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word I want to <laughs> that's how bad I am around music <laughs> but it just doesn't work that way but anyway I am here to help you out with whatever you might be struggling with and um, love to talk to you 866-391-1020 is the number I uh, got an email here that says that uh, my kids see all their work at the beginning of the year and then they get overwhelmed and I tell them not to be every year, but they are. Um, please help. Okay, this is a good one. This is a co- this is a good a common one too. I mean, let's think about this. If you see at work, if you see all the things you have to do over the course of a year, you're going to be overwhelmed. That's pretty overwhelming. Go stand in front of a mountain and think I have to be at the top, and you're going to be pretty overwhelmed. So. If you're standing at the base of a mountain with your children, and you can please feel free to use this analogy with your children, 
But if you go stand at the bottom of a mountain, and if you have time on a weekend to go take them to even a big hill, whatever, whatever you have access to, and say, okay, now listen, we want to go to the top, um, and we're going to go to the top. Where are we going to start? Are we going to start taking leaps and bounds? Or are we just going to start with the first step? See, when we're taking this first step, all we need to do is concentrate on that step. So I've been rereading uh, Leo Tolstoy short stories. I grew up with that. My mom used to always have me read Russian literature. And Leo Tolstoy, great writer, great short story writer. Um, several really great um, short stories from him. But one of the things that uh, Tolstoy uh, talks about in um, the uh, where... Um, Shoot, I just lost one I was going to tell you about because I just read several of them at once. Um, oh, the one that I was going to talk about is The Coffee House of Surratt. The Coffee House of Surratt. It's this short story where uh, people come from all these different places to this coffee house and they start to get in an argument about religion and they all see their side and they all are profoundly certain about their side. And then somebody comes in, a wise person comes in and gives them an analogy about it. But it's a great story. But it's a great story about how we learn from the perspective that we have and that we get convinced that our perspective is the only one. But as you're teaching your children about how much work they have to do for the entire year, one of the things you can say is there are lots of ways to get to where you're going and there are different ways we can go about it. We can go about it from one side of the mountain. We can go about it to another side of the mountain. And then I'm going to now I'm going to quote another Tolstoy story, um, which is the three questions. So the three questions, great little story, ultimately boils down to uh, a person asking this wise man, like, when is the most when is the most important time? uh, Who is the most important person and what is the most important thing to do? And the lesson from this short story, the three questions, again, great story to read with your children, pick up and read again if you haven't read Tolstoy in a while, um, is this. The, the lesson from that is the most important time is now. Uh, the most important person is the person you're with. It's the only person you can actually interact with. And the most, the best, the most, the right thing to do is to help the person that you're with. So now let's bring it back to our children. We take them to either a tall building. We're going to walk to the top of the building. We're going to walk up a hill, walk up a mountain. And we say, we're going to start with the first step because the most important moment is what? This moment. And what can we do? We could take a step right now with each other. And when you're in school, instead of thinking about everything you have to do, I would love for you to remember this moment where we are not think, not facing everything you have to do all at once, but just the first step. The most important moment is this moment right here, right now. So getting that lesson can kind of help maybe have your children not be so anxious about everything they have to do all at once, which again would make anyone anxious if you're thinking I have to do all of this at once. I think that's a really, really kind of normal thing. Our job is to teach our children. That's our job as parents is to teach our children. And we forget that sometimes. I've heard people say, well, I'm not a teacher. I never liked school. I never, I don't want to be a teacher. I didn't ask for this. You, you didn't, but it's the moment you have children, you do become that teacher. And so it's important to think about that. And think too, people have different experiences. So imagine this. Let's say you and I go to the Grand Canyon. We go on different days. The day I go, 
It's uh, very sunny, beautiful weather, not a cloud in the sky. The day you go, there is a tumultuous uh, storm, thunder, lightning, it's raining, torrential downpour, and that's your experience. We go to the same spot, but those are the two different things that are happening. Now, is it fair to say that we'd probably have two different experiences? Even though we went to the same spot, same place, we're still going to have different experiences. This is the same as with you think about your children going to school. You might say, well, I went to that school or I had this teacher or I did this, but it's their experience. And there's so many different factors that come into play. The challenge is to figure out what those, um, help them figure out what those factors are and then what they can do about it. So here is the quick parenting uh, solution. The quick parenting solution is I'll just tell you what to feel. I'll tell you what to do. And that's great. That makes you feel better. You solve the immediate problem, but you don't help your children learn for themselves for the long term. The more effective solution is to take your time, listen to them, validate them, and then explore options. So what do we do from here? I get it. You don't like homework. Homework stinks. Right now, you'd rather be doing something else. But here's the deal. If you choose not to do your homework and you choose not to do your work all year, then you're going to fail. And then you're going to spend another year, an extra year in school, when I thought you said you didn't like school in the first place. So wouldn't it be a little bit more wise to get on top of that, be proactive, and do the work ahead of time? Whatever the situation is with your children, when they're coming home and talking about school, the primary the primary message I want to give you is to talk to them about it, listen to them, validate them. And the other thing I want to talk about tonight, what about young people going back to school? Cause sometimes it's really overwhelming and the stories that you and I create in our minds can sometimes be irrational. Sometimes we can recognize that. And sometimes that's multiplied for young people. So imagine that your uh, son or daughter or a friend of the family's you notice that they're different, they're down, they're just not themselves. Please reach out, say something. And you might say, well, I don't know what to say, so I'm gonna hand, I'm gonna hand feed this to you right here. Here's what to say. Hey, looks like you're, you're struggling. Is every, or, hey, is everything going okay? That's it, just by asking that. You don't have to have all the answers. Maybe they start saying things and you don't know how to respond to it. You know what, I'm here with you. I wish I knew what to say. You could even say that. You know, I don't, I don't even know what to say, but I do know this. I'm here with you. You see, because young people, and research has shown overwhelmingly that young people who choose not to commit suicide can identify at least one person, one adult in their lives who they perceive cares about them. And one of the easiest ways to show young people you care about them is to ask them questions about their lives. So if you're a teacher, instead of asking your, your, your students about what's going on in school, ask them something about how was your weekend? What kind of movies do you like? Anything. Just showing interest. Saying something rather than saying nothing. The more we reach out to people, the better chance we have to start that conversation. A lot of conversations around emotions are scary because we don't know what's going to come up until you realize that you will be, there will be a beginning, a middle, and an end an end to every emotional experience you ever have. And that's the same true with, that's the same as with conversations. There'll be a beginning and a middle and an end to it. The most important thing is to be mindful and to reach out. Hey, if you want to see a video of me talking about parenting, one of the 
parenting videos I did with my daughter has over a million views, 10 ways to discipline your children. We did another one called the four C's of parenting and I can get into those too coming up. Um, but that's on YouTube. So you go to YouTube and you just type in Dr. Christian Conti, that's C O N T E. And, um, I, 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 this is parenting to me is, I believe the most profound, most honorable job any of us will ever do. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDK Radio. This is Emotional Management. It's your weekly checkup from the neck of the show where we get to talk about the things that are going on with you. Tonight we talked about so many different things here, but uh, primarily we're hitting on if your children are on their way back to school, if they're just starting school, if they just started school, look, our kids are going through things that we've already made it through as parents, grandparents. And so when we look at what they're going through, there's a tendency to downplay it. Oh, it's just a little relationship right now. Or, oh, that's a, a, a friend group that you, you, you're not, you're going off to college next year. You're not going to even see them anymore. And so we downplay it because we kind of see the bigger picture, but for our children, they're living there in that moment. It's important to them. And probably the greatest thing you can do is just listen, listen to what their experience is. Listen to what is going through their mind. Probably my favorite question I ask uh, my daughter all the time, like, what are you thinking? Tell me what you're thinking. I always want to know what's on your mind. I want to make sure I'm there for you and that I'm, that I can, uh, be there to talk with you about anything you're experiencing. I, I think it's a really important lesson, whether you have uh, girls, boys, or both, to teach your children that their emotions are natural, normal. They're going to experience their emotions their entire lives. The question is, are they going to allow their emotions to dictate what they do, or will they be able to sit with those emotions? Someone asked me recently, why is there so much anger in the world today? Well, first of all, I think there's always been anger, but I think that we have an ability to keep the embers of the fire stoked a little bit more because we have this access to everyone. So in the past, you might've been angry about something, but then it, you you start thinking about other things because you're, you're, you're on to the next thing. So let's say it's, uh, you know, hundred years ago, 500 years ago, Let's go 500 years ago. Let's go 500 years ago. You're angry with somebody in the next town over. Then you leave. You walk home. You're 10 miles. You're at the next, uh, you're at your village. You're not thinking about that anymore. So you're not thinking about it. Or maybe you think about it, but then you've let it go. But when you're in a world where there's so much connectivity, you think you're angry about something, you turn on the news, you watch that. You turn on social media, you watch that. You, you turn on the radio, you listen to it. So you do whatever you can do to keep it stoked in front of you. But what if you were mindful about that and chose not to keep stoking that fire? If you know there's something that fires you up, set it aside, fill your mind with what you want to be in your mind and teach your children to do likewise. The more you teach your children that what they put in their mind will be in their mind, the faster they will actually get it. They'll get that lesson. But remember, they're not going to get it if we just tell them to get it. They're going to get it more if we really have that experience with them. So you might even try this. You might even get an actual bucket. Put it in front of your kids and say, what do you want to put in this? Make it fun. 
So they maybe they put a deck of cards in it. Okay, now, is there a deck of cards in here? Yes. It's true there's a deck of cards in there, right? Whatever you put in your bucket will be in your bucket. The same is true with your mind. If you play this video game, this is what's going to be in your mind. And the more you make them aware of the consequence, and here's the consequence, because so many people reach out and say, well, my, my kid plays video games and there's nothing wrong with them. Okay, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with them, but here's what I am saying. Could you, you wouldn't want to put your child in the middle of a battle scene in actual war. So are you comfortable that your child's playing a first person or virtual reality game where they're actually neurologically immersed in that situation? And you're thinking that that's not having any impact on them whatsoever. That's just not accurate. Obviously our experiences shape us. We're quick to downplay things when we don't want something to be happening but not wanting something to be happening is not the same as it actually happening. There's a difference between the cartoon world, that world that we think the way it should be, the world as we the world as it should be, and then the real world, the way the world actually is. The more you align your expectations with that cartoon world, the more let down you are. But it's not the world letting you down, it's your own expectations. So it's wise to align your expectations with reality. The reality is your children are going to be anxious at times. They're going to be thinking of things. Something might have uh, primary importance to your children that you don't even know about. And the best way to find out is to ask them and to give them space. It's not like you will tell me, like, let's talk about this. Tell me what's going on. I want to know. I want to support you. But your answer, your response to your children when they do open up, it really determines so much. So in other words, if you tell your children, I'm here for you no matter what, you can tell me anything. Okay, well, I was talking in class today and I got yelled at. I can't believe you did that to us. I can't believe you made our family look bad. Well, now why would they ever tell you something like that again? So it's being mindful. You could always give consequences, but remember you're always teaching. That's what's most important. You're teaching and think about the ways in which you are teaching. Speaking of teaching, I have a new book coming out, Walking Through Anger. You can buy it now anywhere books are sold um, as a pre-order, and then it'll actually be released in October. But you can pre-order it now, and I would love for you to do that. Also, check out my YouTube channel. You go to YouTube, and you just type in Dr. Christian Conti, um, and you'll get videos from all kinds of different uh, topics. I try to add any kind of mental health topics that I can add. I definitely love doing this show. I'm here every week. So if you didn't get a chance to call in this week, um, please call in in future weeks because I'm doing the show because I love to connect with people on the YouTube channel. You know, there's comment sections, but there's really not the same kind of dialogue. And that's why I choose to do this radio show. It's why KDKA chooses to bring you this radio show because we care. KDKA cares and they care about you getting through some of the most difficult times of your lives. And that's why we're here. Or even some of the most basic things, whatever you have questions about. It's emotional management. We're all alive. We all go through things. We all could use a little bit of help and support along the way. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is emotional management. And above all, as always, I wish you much peace. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.